أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على سيدنا ونبينا أبي القاسم المصطفى محمد وعلى آله الطيبين الطاهرين السلام عليكم brothers and sisters welcome to another episode from the Tafsir of Dua Kumail podcast hopefully everyone is doing well we will continue with the Tafsir of Dua Kumail and in the last episode we had ended uh, at these lines, Allahumma wa as'aluka su'ala man ishtadat faqatuh. Oh Allah, I ask you the asking of a person whose need is very severe. He really needs your help. Wa anzala bika inda shada'idi hajata. The one who has brought his need to you. Wa aduma fima inda ka ragbatuh. And the one who is now interested and inclined in the things that you have to offer. Maybe if not before, before it wasn't like that. But now. I am asking as a person who is interested in the things that you have to offer now. And we talked about these and we talked and we touched on this concept that as the human being gets older, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, gives him more maturity. And of course, he experiences different things in life. And because of that, naturally, as a human being gets older, normally a person will come closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. As a person, as opposed to a person who's younger, less maturity, it's greater chance of him acting bold, acting, you know, having the audacity to disobey Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that's why we mentioned in that hadith, the idea of doing tawbah at a young age is very much praised and it's very much emphasized. All right. So moving on now, uh, in this part of the dua, uh, the Imam was saying that I, you are the solution to my problems. I'm bringing my need to your door, right? Now the next couple of lines are going to explain why he is doing that. Well, more than the next couple of lines, but the next, I would say maybe seven or eight lines. So the next line continues like this: Allahumma aduma sultanak. Oh Allah, your force, your authority, Sultan, referring to authority, it's great. And you are lofty. You are high. And your deception is hidden. This makr, uh, we talked about it before. This makr refers to when Allah, when someone disobeys Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and this continues. The verses of the Quran tell us that then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala starts to plot against this individual. Right? He's saying you have this all this power and if someone goes against you, what happens? Your makr is khafi. No one is immune from your plotting against them. No one is immune if you want to punish them and you want to push, punish them heavily. Because this makr means God plans and then punishes, right? As if to say that if someone were to normally punish you, it would just be like a normal punishment. But if someone sits back and plans to see how to get to you, right? How to punish you. That punishment is going to be far more severe. And this is what this concept of makr is that we have in, in Ahadith and in the verses of the Qur'an, we have uh, multiple, multiple times. So he continues, makruk, And your plotting is hidden if anyone get, decides to go against you. amruk, And your command is manifest. Right? Meaning that when you decide something, it happens. Your domination takes over. And your power it flows. In other words, it happens. If you decide for something to happen, then there's nobody that's going to stop it from happening. All of this he's saying to explain why before he was explaining that I have come to you and I am in need of you and I see you as the solution. 
right? Why? Because you're the one who holds the keys apparently to everything, right? You, you're the one who has all the authority. You're the one that when he decides it happens, right? You're the one who, if you have a problem with a person, that person is in trouble because you have this thing called makr, where you sit and you plot against this person. You're the one who controls everything. That's why That's why I was asking as a person who's brought his need to your door now, right? And there is no escape from your authority, right? There's no escape from your territory. It's very interesting. In the verses of the Quran, we have this uh, beautiful, um, uh, you know, this use of words in the verses of the Quran that really makes it very, it really puts things into perspective. Where, because here the Imam is talking about al farar, right? Or al farar. Farar meaning to escape, right? To elude something, to run away from something. He says, I cannot run away from your authority, from your territory, right? It's very beautiful that in the verses of the Quran, we have this concept of running away from God towards God, which kind of seems, you know, a bit contradictory because when you run away from something, you're supposed to run towards something else, right? Like if you're running away, right, from, from, from uh, you know, a gang, for example, you're not going to run back into the neighborhood or the hood <laughs> that they control, right? That's not smart. If you're running away from, I don't know, someone who's trying to kill you, right? You're not going to just go back to like their headquarters, right? You, that's not what you're doing. I hope so, right? So when you run away from something, you run away from that thing. You distance yourself from that thing and you run away towards something else. But in the verses of the Quran, it puts it very beautifully, right? It says, فَفِرُّوا إِلَى اللَّهِ Run away. Run away from what? From the punishment of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Okay, so where am I supposed to go? Ilallah. You're supposed to run towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It's very, very beautiful. In the best way to, to explain this for those of us who've had this experience, right? That, you know, remember those times where your mother or father, maybe they had some sort of a, uh, you know, a punishment in mind for you, right? They had some sort of a disciplinary action that they had decided for, for it to happen for you, right? And you felt like they were very upset at you. They were very angry at you, right? But what you you wanted to get get away from that anger and that upset and, 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 and you know, their wrath, so to speak. And what would you do? You would go back to them. You would go back and sit and talk with them, for example. You would give them a hug. You would apologize to them. Right? You have nowhere else to go. This is the only place you have to go, right? So this is what these verses of the Quran are talking about. Ya Allah, I have nowhere to run. So what am I going to do? I'm going to run back towards you. And this is what we also find in Surah uh, Al-Dhariyat, right? The Quran says, The Prophet says, Run away from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, from his punishment towards what? Towards himself again. He's the one who brings about the punishment, but he is also the one who is supposed to give you the solution to that punishment. No one else can give you that solution to that punishment. Therefore, you run away from him, but you run back towards him and this is not how it works in our day-to-day -day lives because when you run away from something right you distance yourself from that thing and you run away towards something else nonetheless the, the imam is saying here there is no way i can run away from your authority so therefore i will run back towards you right and he continues this is why he was mentioning these following lines is why he was mentioning that he is the one that can solve my problem Allahumma 
It says, you know what? When I look around, I don't see anyone solving my problem. I don't see anyone forgiving my sins except for you. You're the only one who can forgive these sins of mine. Wow, this is this part is very beautiful. He says, and I don't see anyone who can hide these negative attributes that I have except for you, right? I don't see anyone who can hide my ugly side from people except for you. You're the one who can cover up this stuff, right? And I don't see anyone else out there who can do this, right? Like, you know how you say, you're comparing businesses sometimes, you say, well, I don't see anyone offering this service, right? This is this is what the Imam is saying here, in my wording, of course, when it comes to God. I don't see anyone else out there who can offer you this service. What service is he talking about, this third line? I don't see anyone else who can take my bad deeds and turn them into good deeds. Other than you. You're the only one who can do that. What is the Imam referring to? This is a concept that you also find in the verses of the Quran. If I'm not mistaken, it's mentioned more than one time in the verses of the Quran. But one of the famous ones is uh, in it's verse 70. It says, Illa man taba wa amana wa amila salihan. Verse 70 from Surah Furqan. Illa man taba wa amana wa amila salihan. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will forgive those who do tawbah and they do good deeds. And then he says, those guys are the ones that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala takes their sayyat, their wrongdoings, and he does tabdeel of them. He changes them into good deeds. All right. So this is what the imam is referring to, which is mentioned in the verses of the Quran. Now, what does this actually mean? Does this mean that if I did a bunch of wrong things, God will actually take them and turn them into good deeds? Does that make sense fully? And what would that exactly look like? So, when you look at the tafasir, when it comes to this verse of the Quran, there are different scholars who have different opinions on this. And in his tafsir, Alama Tawatabai, in the tafsir of Al-Mizan, he talks about this, right? And he, he explains that there are different opinions about this. Some say that this verse needs to be understood metaphorically, right? It's not figurative speech. It, forgive me, it is figurative speech. <laughs> it's not literal speech, meaning that like it doesn't mean that God will actually take your bad deeds and turn them into good deeds, right? That's one opinion. What they And then they continue, that opinion says that when God says that, what he actually means is that because before you were doing bad things and now you did toba, he won't be writing any more bad deeds for you because you won't be doing any because you just did toba, And he'll be writing good deeds for you now because you did toba. you'll be doing good deeds, right? So it's just explaining that because you did toba, you were doing bad deeds before and now you're doing good deeds. Some say it's that. Another opinion says, again, this is not literal speech. It's figurative speech, right? And th for those who have taken our um, uh, tafsir course, um, you know, the, the science of tafsir course um, of Mizan Institute, we, we discuss this idea of when you understand the phrase metaphorically or literally quite in depth in that course and what you're supposed to do in these situations, right? And we explained how uh, one of the reasons that the Quran is so special, what makes the Quran so special as compared to 
other books or other holy books out there is that when we interpret the verses of the Quran, we don't just jump to conclusions and say if a sentence doesn't, you know, doesn't fully sit well with us for us to say, well, it's just a metaphor. The difference between metaphorical speech and literal speech is a big difference. And in that course, we explain that if you just open this door to take any line in the verses of the Quran or Hadith for it to mean, for it to be figurative, right? For it to be metaphorical, then really you are undermining uh, the whole religion. Why? Because once you do that, there is no way for God to communicate anything to you. Whatever he says, you could just sit there and say, oh, no, he doesn't mean it literally. It's just a metaphor. <laughs> right. And now, no matter what he does, right, like he won't be able to communicate with you because whatever he says, you're not going to take it literally at that point. Right. Imagine if I told you guys, right, like, oh, um, you know, uh, let us know how the podcast is. Give us some feedback. And you guys are like, no, no, he just means it metaphorically. He doesn't really mean it literally. Right. He's just like he just means like in your heart, like just think about our podcast in your heart. Right. And I'm like, no, you know, let us know how we're doing. And you guys are like, no, no, he doesn't mean it like literally. It's just a metaphor. You can't communicate to one another. Right. Imagine you come home. Right. And, and the, the wife or husband are like, oh, did you buy the groceries I told you to buy? And and like the husband or wife are like, oh, what? Um, oh, I thought you meant like metaphorically. I didn't mean you actually like, you can't communicate. That's not a life anymore. Right. <laughs> um, that's that's going to be uh, that's a divorce <laughs> is what that is. But anyways, the idea is that when we have this line in the verses of the Quran, the verse is saying God will take your your bad deeds and turn them into good deeds. We can't just easily jump to this idea and say, oh, it's just a metaphor. He doesn't mean it literally. There is a place for that. But that's only when uh, the literal meaning of the word word or the sentence would not make any sense. Right? We haven't gotten to that point. So the first opinion was, oh, no, this is just a metaphor. He doesn't actually take your bad deeds and turn them into good deeds. No, he uh, basically he's explaining that because you've done Tawbah, you won't be doing any more bad deeds and you'll be doing good deeds. So he'll be writing down good deeds for you naturally because you're not doing any more bad deeds. Second opinion was, no, he'll take the effects of those bad deeds and he will turn them into effects of good deeds. Right? So when you do a bad deed, right, it's a sin, but then there are certain effects that it has, right? He will remove those effects of those bad deeds, okay? Not that the actual bad deed will turn into a good deed. That's another opinion. And there are other opinions as well. But the important thing is, Alama Tabayi here himself and Ayatollah Makarim Shirazi in his tafsir as well, they both emphasize on this point that because the verse of the Quran is literally saying that you he will take your bad deeds and turn them into good deeds, unless that is like philosophically impossible, we would have to believe in that. We always have to stick with the literal meaning of the verses of the Quran unless we have a clear reason, right? We have clear proof or a clear clue that's telling us that this verse is a metaphorical verse. Other than that, we are going to always stick to the literal meaning of the verse. And therefore, Alama Tawatawai does that, right? And he says, when the Quran says he will change them, he will change them. Now, how does he do that from a more of a, like a philosophical perspective? There is a discussion there as to how God actually goes about that and how he does that, right? He has this discussion, the very brief like uh, point in that discussion is this. He says that good deeds and bad deeds, the actual deeds themselves 
are not what make them good or bad. It's your it's your intention that you have in mind. And if your intention changed and you are a different person, therefore, God can take your actions and t- color them with the right intentions now. Now, that's very deep and it may not make sense right now. So that's just, uh, you know, I don't want to go into it and explain it too far. Uh, but that's just, you know, touching, just scratching the surface on that. He has a very beautiful explanation about how God can take bad deeds and turn them into good deeds. But uh, essentially, he's saying that when you do a bad deed or when you do a good deed, it's not the actual movements of the good or bad deed that make them good or bad, right? Um, like he says, like, you know, a, a halal relationship that someone has, an intimacy that's halal and an intimacy that's haram. So the, the action itself is the same. What made it halal or haram is the things that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has basically uh, legislated, right? The action itself is the same action that takes place here or there, right? If you were to take something from someone's hand, the action is the same action. Sometimes you take some, something from a child's hand because you're mean. Sometimes you take something from a child's hand because you want to protect them. So what made it different? It was your intention, right? And he says, therefore, when you change and you do tawbah, your intentions change. Therefore, your actions automatically change. And that is how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala takes your bad deeds and he turns them into good deeds. Now, again, this is a more philosophical discussion. But as we wrap up this uh, this part of the du'a, I want to share this hadith. It's a very beautiful hadith uh, in which uh, the Prophet was speaking to Abu Dhar, right? He was uh, giving his wasiyah uh, to Abu Dhar, the famous companion of the Prophet. And in the hadith, it says that the, the Prophet says that when they bring human beings on the day of judgment, one of these human beings, when they bring him on that day, they... Uh, show him his bad deeds, but they only show him the smaller bad deeds that he has done, right? And when they show it to him, he starts to admit that, yes, I did that bad deed. I did that one. I did that one. I did all of these bad deeds, right? So he admits to all of these, but he's still afraid of those bigger wrongdoings that he's had, right? And then the the call comes to him. He is addressed. Listen, the bad deeds that you have done, they have now been switched into good deeds, right? And in some of the other hadith, it says that the Prophet smiled. He smiled, and uh, it's interesting, in the seerah of the Prophet, there are certain narrations, certain times where they say <laughs> that the Prophet had a really big smile, right? And the way it's mentioned in the hadith and the narrations is that his uh, the teeth in the back of his mouth would be would appear, so to speak, you know, like it was a bigger smile. In, in other words, usually he wasn't laughing loud where you could like see his whole mouth. Right. But normally it was a it was a smaller smile. Right. Um, but then in some narrations, when as if to say that the prophet is really delivering something he's really pleased about, that he would smile and some of his other teeth would be seen. Meaning that this smile, like he was really, really happy when he was saying this. That yes, the other bad deeds that you did, they have now been switched into good deeds. And in that tafsir of Alama Tabatabai, he mentions that we have multiple ahadith about this idea. So it seems as though that we would have to take this verse literally. That yes, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala takes the bad deeds of a person, turns them into good deeds. Now, how does he do that? Um... And is this, you know, is this conversion a one-to-one ratio, right? 
and how does it actually happen that's a separate discussion we may not be a hundred percent clear on that but it seems as though this is something that happens going back to the dua the imam was saying and i do not see anyone else offering this service where they will take my bad deeds and they they will turn them into good deeds oh allah you're the only one who can do this for me right? and that is why i am asking you and i'm not asking someone else in time of my need and in, in, in this moment of need that i have i have come to uh, your door as we continue uh, in the next episode he continues with the line la ilaha illa ant subhanaka wa bihamdik zalamtu nafsi wa tajarra'tu bi jahli some very important lines in uh, the rest of this dua